Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product, whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global. Our guests will help you grow, scale up, and work smarter. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on SaaScast today. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Super excited. Going to be awesome. I yeah. think our listeners would just love to hear a little bit more about you first and, and your yeah. background and your, your area of expertise. Yes, no problem. So so long story short, I've been in the rev type of business the last 22 years. I've been in sales for a long, long time. Uh, and I have done all the individual contributor roles, all from SDR up to VP sales, those type of movements in my career. And I the last 13 years I've spent in the SaaS industry. So I've worked for uh, several different SaaS companies, m- mainly coming in when we've been, like say, five to 10 people, then going on a journey and then sort of exiting when we've been at a certain size. Uh, and I've also been in scale-ups, a few of them. Uh, so I'm basically all about sauce. I've been in the industry for a long time and I'm very, very focused on 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 sales and revenue. That's been my sort of types of roles that I've had. I've also spent a couple of years at an agency uh, where we I came in, actually, I think I was the fifth person. We sold and exited when we were 45 to another bigger agency in the Nordics. And I worked a lot with SaaS companies as customers and as a consultant and also head of growth for that agency. I was also on the board. Uh, and through that process, I got to work with a lot of different SaaS companies at the same time in the consultancy sort of stretch setup. And I did everything from training salespeople in their teams to understand what marketing was about, because this is a couple of years ago. Not everyone understands still to this day what sales is about and how it's connected to marketing. Uh, and then I also spend a lot of time doing training when it comes to moving salespeople to a skill set where they can actually use the channels that are available today to do really, really good outreach and driving deals to come to close, right? So I've done a lot of training throughout my years. I also have my own business where I also do a lot of training. So training and moving people has always been, as soon as I started learning things myself, I wanted to share. That's just sort of an instinct I have. So I figured this amazing thing out. I now want to help other people understand or see or learn how to do these things too. And when you come up to a higher level of organization, when you start working on strategic side instead of operational, uh, you sort of understand how how difficult it is for people to move and change. So mm-hmm. that's sort of been, I, I remember I was at Vinu for a couple of years where I did, um, I was responsible for business development. I was head of business development, but the title was sort of made up by me and CEO because they they were on a point where they were, were going from startup mentality to scale up, right? I think we were 180 EFTs at the time uh, going out globally into the mainly the European area, but they also wanted to go into the state. And they were looking to sort of get to a point where they could start replicating what was going well, the scaling part of the business. And we did um, we did programs. So I was the head of responsible for managing and developing all the skill enhancement programs behind the scenes to get all the individuals in that SaaS company to understand how to grow their skills to better meet customers, both on customer success, on sales and on marketing, because marketing and sales needs to have a joint collaborative message and so does customer success so that's typically one of the types of jobs where i invented the role myself with the ceo and then we put me in place to do a specific type of work over a limited amount of time to get people to come to a point where they all knew what to do and how to do it well so yeah training is a passion of mine and so it feels so that was 
maybe a long story. Long. No, it's fine. I love hearing <laughs> about that. Like, and I totally agree with you. I think it's just one of those things, isn't it? Some people have it in them that they just feel like they want to, they have that instinct that they want to nurture and mentor people. Yes, yes, very much so. And also at scale, because I think that's one of the things that a lot of SaaS companies struggle with today. How do we how do we train and develop people's skill set at scale? Because we were at the, I was at the, I was the joining an AI panel for one of the companies I'm advising for now, which is uh, Velocity AI, a new platform for uh, sales coaching live, right? Uh, with AI's help. And we were sitting in a panel discussion with a bunch of other leaders that were all working in sales enablement. Uh, so VP sales enablement or head of sales enablement, this new type of new role that's been invented, which is basically helping salespeople and customer success people do more revenue because that's the baseline. Normally that has landed on leaders before their managers, the team's manager has been the person to enable the team members to achieve really good results. And now they're looking to sort of put that as a role. And we were having a discussion how different sales enablement roles looks in different companies because we haven't really figured out what they're supposed to do yet. Mm-hmm. On, a, on a scalable level, right? Because how do we get a structure on a strategy that we have for sales enablement to trickle down into the organization? How do we get that to actually come down to the person on the on the floor, who's the IC, the individual contributor, to be able to maximize the ARR for the year? Like we, we need to figure out how to get that to work. And I think these are, I don't know, nuts that I would love us to be able to crack and discuss more in the episode. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I want to dive into that more. Um, so what what are the, some of the, you know, obviously these people skate, you know, they get to level of leadership positions because they they have considerable prowess in, in selling and they know how to yeah. do it. So then you think, don't you just think, well, obviously they're going to be able to pass it on this knowledge. Where does the complication come in? Where does the struggle come in? And what have you witnessed yourself? What are some of the common pit, pitfalls that you've seen? Yes, I think there are several different sort of moving parts to this. So first of all, people who are great in sales aren't necessarily good leaders or good teachers. Mm-hmm. That's just not how it is. <laughs> I know we want it to be, but it's not. And you're also lifting out an individual contributor that's giving you a lot of revenue out of that position, which is objectively unsmart. Even if it is the only road they can go, we need to figure out how to do that well. And secondly, most of the people that are really amazing at sales, and now I'm going to talk to founders because some, let me say like this, most companies who succeed have founders who were amazing at selling at the start, right? Because mm-hmm. they sold to investors. They sold to staff that joined the company. They sold to the first 10, 20 big accounts. They sold ongoingly for the first couple of years to get the business up and running. And if you don't have that skill or take that skill in, most technical founders take it in with someone else to co-found, right? To sell it, to sell the concept, the vision, the idea. And those people are, uh, if you ask them what they do well in sales, they will be like, I don't know, I just talk to people. And behind the scenes of that statement is perfect, pristine market knowledge, perfect, pristine knowledge of the skill sets that is required to solve a problem that the customer has, perfect intro into what the customer is struggling with because they know their market so well, and also a lot of personal passion for their own wallet and their baby and their company, right? So it's a lot of things going on behind the scenes for a person to be just talking to people and get investment because there are things behind the scenes. And the challenge with replicating that behavior down into the organization has to do with method. 
we have a tendency of, of talking about sales methodology, like medic and dance and all these type of 90s, 80s type of sales methodologies that people are still implementing, by the way. Uh, and 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 focusing on that instead of wondering what is that what is it that the CEO or the founder does in meetings. And I remember I have been and I've done this in all the companies I've joined. The first three months have always been entailed going with the founder to meetings with customers and just paying attention. And mm-hmm. then we can start the, it, it sort of in detracting out information of how they do their messaging when it comes to vision and mission and why they're there and what problems they solve. And that we can turn into a playbook. But most companies don't do that because they think it's impossible. We can't clone uh, uh, Andrew or Jonas or whoever is running the company or or, or uh, Philippa. We can't clone her. But the thing is, most of the things that are done in these meetings is playbook material friendly. We just don't do the effort. So we sort of take in a few individual contributors in our sales team, revenue teams. Those are the starting points. And they follow the founder and they go with, with her or him on meetings. And then they start finding their own voice in that message. And then they do great. And then we start growing the revenue team. And here's where the disconnect happens. So the disconnect happens when the team is so big and it's filled with more junior people that hasn't been with the founder on meetings. And the founder can't go on meetings with all the junior people because then it would take years before everyone is on board and then can start delivering money. Mm -hmm. So the people who have already learned this, they are keeping it to themselves because we don't touch them because they're doing budget every month. We're leaving them alone. And then we take in the VP of sales. And the VP of sales comes in with a bulk of information about the things that they have done in the past that often includes Bant and Medic and all the other things. And then they start training that and suddenly we have salespeople doing demos in the first meeting, which the founder would never do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so the disconnect becomes when we start scaling because then the, the secret sauce, the mission, the vision, the stories, all the things that are the soft parts of the sales communication that relates to market knowledge and knowledge of the challenge that customer is facing and knowledge about how we solve that challenge and knowledge about that roles, problems and challenges and existential confirmation in why they're in their role that sort of gets lost yes and i think that's a big problem yeah so do you think it do you think then it to to sort of put it in other words does it come from being the more people you bring in the more disconnected they become from the mission statement of the company and the vision of the company yes yes a hundred percent and they also don't have the same reason to to educate themselves on the buyer and the market conditions. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same reasoning because the founder, again, this is his or her baby. If the company goes bad, it's their entire life, right? A salesperson that you hire in in a new sales team, they have none of these connections to to the actual business. They are hired. They are staff. And they shouldn't have that connection. But the question then becomes, what what would make these people sit down evenings without getting paid for it and research the market or interviewing buyers or doing any of these things. And that comes down to management. Management has to provide these intels in a way where it's consumable for a salesperson that then they can go out and use in their sales conversations. But instead of extracting that knowledge from the CEO or the founder and then pulling it into the organization with ongoing training on these parts of the the conversation that you will have with customers. Because to be honest, if you want to learn Medic, go to YouTube. 
Like yeah. medic as a structure is not something that you need a trainer to tell you about. If you want to have a sales methodology in place when it comes to the steps you need to take and decision makers you need to understand and who's the who's the champion. Like these things we can learn online. And it's the same with most platforms. Methodology and platform is the same here. We can go online to YouTube and learn this. What we can't learn is the story that the founder uh, got from the first enterprise account they closed. That we can't find on YouTube. So we're sort of focusing on practicing and training on the wrong things. Mm. We're also not really measuring and following up either of these types of training. So even if you do sort of founder-led sales in your organization where you get the founder to sit down and, I don't know, record 10 videos where they tell the stories that you can push out to the sales organization, we're not following up. How many times did you did you actually tell this story in your first meetings this week how often did you we're not we don't know how to do this like we're struggling there's another poll called sales dreadly sales trainings dreadly things that i've been on too and they a lot of these these their episodes talk about how sales training and training overall is so broken because we don't even know what to measure and that also came up in the sales enablement um, sort of all table that we had last week that yeah. we 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 can't we're putting people in a situation where they're 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 sat down for three hours to do like a workshop afternoon to kick them off and get them all excited about the new methodology. And then we do that monthly and we think that that's a good program, right? And we do it monthly and we then don't follow up what they're doing on a weekly basis related to what we're trying to train them. We keep the same KPIs we set out from the start and then we train them in something new and then we don't measure it. So this is a this is a broken process in many ways, which leads to sales enablement sort of struggling with where should I put my efforts? Mm-hmm. Because we have, I don't know what it was, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds and we have 8.25 or something. That was the latest research I, I learned. So, so micro learning and working with these things in incremental waves, that's where AI is such a big deal for sales now too, because we're trying to figure out how can we, how can we sort of live? How can we be live with our sales reps to see what they're doing? How can we coach them live? Or how can we take away some admin tasks so they can learn things instead? But this is an it's a struggle to understand how to do this well in companies. I don't know your experience because I'm curious since you've been interviewing a lot of people talking about these type of things within SaaS, how to grow and scale a business. Your experience is there are many people who say like we know exactly how to train our people. No, not really. <laughs> right. I mean, it's interesting because I think I I think that seems to be a consensus, and it, and it kind of sounds a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say cheesy, but when you do say it, sometimes it does. Like when you say, like, "Oh, we have to get people to believe in the story of the product," and you know, like people these days are very savvy and very cynical, so people will look at that and be kind of like, "Oh, yeah, well, that's easier said than done." You know, oh, yeah, everyone, everyone's going to say that. I, I guess I think about I think about some sales experiences that I've been in where like somebody's somebody's trying to sell me something. And I think like what when do I when is it most convincing and when am yes. I sort of captivated by the message? And I kind of think when it's usually when I believe that they have a sense of pride in the thing that they're actually selling. Yes. Yes, and when they love what they're, what they're you, putting you in get front of you, they right? really believe it. Yeah. And um, to just bring up an example of this that I've seen in companies, I, I always have that experience with with Apple, actually. Yes, right. You know, you know when, when Apple, whenever I go into the Apple store or I talk to them on the phone, yes. I get this sense that there's like somehow something is happening there yes. where they're managing to communicate the message 
of the company yes. stories yes. where the people selling it on the ground yes. are really in touch with what what this the product what it's the problems that it solves why it's valuable yes and I don't know how they do it frankly I don't know if you have more <laughs> insight into that but I, I think it, it like you said it, it's something about you can have all the methodologies in the world but it's that yes. the side of it is, yes yes so and- hard and the training of softer skills is something that because I have I I've trained a lot of sales reps like a lot a lot a lot but mm-hmm. I've also participated as as a as a uh, as a student in a lot of sales courses both mm-hmm. online physically I've done all the different structures because I'm a knowledge craving person personally I've done it without the companies paying for it I've done it when the company has paid for it but I keep educating myself because I realize that the more I know the less I actually know <laughs> it's yeah. a challenge ongoingly because I don't I have enough time before I die right <laughs> I don't have enough time before I die to learn all the things I want to know and I think that when it comes to because this has to do with culture apple is culture I had my first, like my first extra job. I was working at Sats, which is a gym chain in, in Sweden and in the Nordics. Uh, and I was selling gym memberships, right? I was super excited about the product. I just, I worked out for a year. I lost 30 kilos with, with training. I was all excited because I was sold on my own story, right? Mm-hmm. And the culture within that company, this was business and consumer. So we were talking to people, normal people who should start training, right? Uh, which is where I started. I then went over to the business side of it. But but when I started, it was all about the people. And and I was so passionate when I came in. And then they took me and they fine-tuned my messaging with the culture they had. Because everyone who worked at this company, I would come into reception five in the morning when the club would open. And the person working in the reception was like, good morning. Like, okay, you're really happy to be here. I feel happy to be here now too. Like it was a very, and it, they sort of hired based on the culture and then they trained whatever skills. And it's the same that I'm sure Apple focuses on. I will train you in the technology. We just want you to be super excited about the the, the brand that we are. You are our crew. It's a proudness to this. Yeah. And I think we're sort of missing out on that a lot in SaaS companies yeah. because we don't. And also our incentive models, to be fair, I'm going to take a sidetrack now. Our incentive models does not show us that that's what is important. It's not. So we're incentivized on uh, in revenue, at least, to generate revenue. But we're not incentivized in how we make our customers feel. Even if we work with, with uh, uh, NPS and things like that, we're not actually being paid on that type of, of, of narrative. We're not being paid on getting a customer to go out of a meeting and be like, I feel moved now. Yeah. We're not paying people to do that. We're paying people to move people where they sign a contract, not to where we move them emotionally. So the KPIs are kind of weighted in the quantitative side. Yes, yes, always, side. always yeah. the quantitative side. And now we see companies starting to do, oh, well, we will do how happy the customers is too, but it's an additional on top and it's not going to drive what you get paid. Like, And that's a challenge, right? Because we're we're trying to, and we're also fostering a young generation of salespeople because a lot of people come from school and this is one of the first jobs they get as a junior SCR, as an example. Mm. And you come into this role and you know very little of the world, let alone business. And then you go through an onboarding of six weeks and then you get it. If you're lucky, you get onboarding. You get onboarding six weeks, a computer and the phone. And then they're like, find your voice. Good luck. And then the sales manager who's supposed to train you just goes away. And then he comes back once a month. And this is not to foster really creative because sales is a very creative process. It's a very creative process. It, It should be a very emotional process. Like we are... 
we are sort of trying to take the emotions out of it when it comes to what KPIs we measure. But at the end of the line, emotional connection to the person you're selling to an emotional connection to your business and your proudness in that will drive you to, 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 to close more deals. How do we train that? How do we train that? And that's the ongoing question I think we should think about, not how do we implement medic? And I, I can give you a clear example of how this sort of fails too when it comes to methodology. I was working at Lido, and this was my last um, employment before I went into VP sales at another company, so the so two years ago. Uh, and we had a, a revenue team working that wasn't succeeding. We were failing. Everyone was failing in the different teams in the country house, right? And they decided that the solution to this is medic, right? <laughs> so we're failing our numbers and the solution is medic. We're not going to interview the salespeople to figure out what the actual problem is. We're not going to look at the average age and understand that everyone, they know nothing, right? About the world, not about sales methodology, about the world. They don't know anything and they were struggling, right? So medic was supposed to be implemented and the implementation and, and Lido is a company that's going very fast. And the reason why we didn't do it properly was because of the high speed nature of a startup. I fully understand that. I just think that we should have thought it one more step through because then we could have built a program where the salespeople trained each other on the things they were good at and we would have become a lot better. So yeah. we did medic. Implementation was three sessions, PowerPoints, learn yourself. Now we start implementing. We will measure you on this. Yeah. And and that's not that's not workable. And yet a lot of SaaS companies do this because they feel like this is something they needed to do, but they're not looking at the end line, what we're actually trying to solve. Because if we were to look at the end line of what we're trying to solve, we could say, okay, so we have no idea what ICPs we're targeting. Maybe that's a challenge for sales. Yeah. Maybe we should work on getting a really crisp ICP for each individual so they know what they should learn more about and then do courses on the industry knowledge they need to get them to be able to sell with confidence and trust to those accounts. Yeah. Because then we wouldn't we would have stayed in our old sales methodology because the problem lied before it started, before the sales methodology even kicked in. Yeah. And these are these are changes that we're trying to make that sales enablement will have a big part in to drive, to communicate with people doing the work mm -hmm. and putting that into a strat strategy up top so we can then sizzle it down. But I really believe that all salespeople that do that doesn't have a founder-led sales approach. All of you go to your go to your founder and you tell that person, please let me tag along to free meetings. No founder will say no to you. They will see you as someone who's putting their best foot forward. So if that's not happening on a company level, make it happen for you. Make it happen for you. Go to your, your founder and say, I want to come with you on three customer meetings. And then you just listen, take notes, and you register everything this person is talking about. And then you train it to find your voice in that story. And then you use that story. That's one incremental change you can make tomorrow to increase how your sales meetings go. And once you've done that, you can tell your, your founder that I have, we have, a, we have cracked it now. Let's do this for all the salespeople. And then you can help your company in the same way. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I think is really interesting as well to go back to kind of incentivization. Yes. Um, you were talking about how, you know, they don't they don't prioritize the kind of emotional connection enough and they don't no. they don't measure it. One of the things that I wonder, and I don't know if you've experienced this as well. Yes. I think sometimes what happens is people are very driven by their KPIs and they're very serious yes. about them, but they're yes. not actually thinking about the, the how it feeds into the overall business 
and how yeah. it impacts everyone else. So sometimes somebody will come to them and say, okay, but I'm struggling with mine because of something that's being implemented here. And the reaction will be, well, I don't care about that. Because, of course, because, I'm eating because that's not my, not my job. Not my job, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not my job. I'm just yeah. wondering, that that must be the kind of thing that's really um, detrimental to a business yes. role. Yes. I wonder if it's one of the negative side effects sometimes of KPI, of KPIs, really. And I'm just wondering, if I could pick your brains, how do you not only sort of prioritize emotions, but also kind of the togetherness and community yes. of an organization so that people care about other people's goals, so they care about sharing knowledge with yes. people below them. Yes. Yes. How do you do that? <laughs> yes. So so I can I can I can tell you an example that I did at Vinyl because I believe in what we're talking about now. I think this is very important. I think that the the best salespeople are people who know how to train other people and teach other people. I think it's an essential skill because you're training and educating your customers all day long. So mm-hmm. getting people who are really good because most people have a few parts of a sales process, as, as an example, where they're really excelling, like they're excelling. So let's say that we have an SDR who's amazing at booking the first meeting because he does a lot of research a specific way. That is a concept we can replicate, but it's in his head, his manager knows it, that he's doing this amazingly well, but no one else does. And we're not taking advantage of his knowledge and no one is giving him a stage to train people on. Mm-hmm. Because that's not the program you have set up in your company. You have one-offs here and there where you do sales training with some random white dude that comes in from the side and talks about sales who hasn't done sales for 20 years. That's the training we have. So imagine a situation, and this is what I did at Vino. So we did a program, and like we can take revenue stuff as, a, as one of the tracks because we had several tracks depending on what role you had, where all training modules are led by the individual in the company who is the best at that part of the sales process. So they train the rest of the team. And then that material gets prepared, put into the playbook, and then that recording gets recorded so new people who come in to join can look at the recording and go through the track after the fact. So we put the best people to train us in. So if you're really good at creating emotional connection in the first meeting, and we can see that by how the customer interacts with you during all the recorded sessions you have of your first meeting, we see that you're really getting people invested emotionally. We can also see that on sales velocity and close rate, obviously, and ARR and how big of a deal we had, et cetera. There are other key metrics to show that this person is connecting emotionally because we are selling to human beings. But we see that this specific person, this 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 um, AI, he is really good at creating emotional connection with his prospects. So then he trains on emotional intelligence in your first meeting. And then we follow up by looking at specific key metrics when it comes to how we can help everyone else start doing it. And it can be as simple as asking a genuine question about how the person feels today. A genuine question. Like these are simple but untangible for most people things that happens in a meeting. So if there's a child walking by in the background, instead of just ignoring the fact that there is a child walking by in the background of the meeting, you say, hey, oh, I see you have a your child there. So, what, so are they home from school? What's happening? Just a minute or two to actually acknowledge that I'm talking to a person who has a child there. Mm-hmm. And most salespeople, they, they don't do things like that. Yeah. Which is insane to me because people have lives. We're talking to decision makers who all are like we are. They're the same people. They have children, they have lives, they have hobbies, they have emotions, they have trust issues. <laughs> like they have all of these things that normal people have. They have emotional baggage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They have a backpack of shit, man. They've talked to salespeople and been disappointed before. You have to build a trust. 
<laughs> and especially I was at a conference a few weeks ago speaking of trust and there was a Gartner did a show um, um, a keynote where they talked about that three out of five okay look so we sell to five people three of these people will regret buying a software mm-hmm. three out of five oh my and God. the reason why is is because our entire process in SaaS is broken this is what I'm talking about because we are we are extending how much we are promising them as an example because we are so pent on doing the KPI that it doesn't matter that the person on the other side who makes this decision will lose all trust with their organization, might get fired because they're wrong investment. These things doesn't matter to us. Yeah, that goes back to the problem I was saying, I think a little bit where it's like, well, I've done my job. I got got him to buy. Yes, I got paid now, so I don't care. I don't Um, care what happens after that, yeah. And and that comes down to a lack of pride, doesn't it? Yes, yes. And and also a lack of communication about other things. So how many sales training training programs, revenue programs, have you ever encountered where one of the modules had to do with how to look yourself in the mirror? Or one of the modules had to do with so how do you maintain the relationship you built with your customer after they signed? Or it has to do with how do you take responsibility and accountability for the number of churns you get? Because even if you pass it along to a customer success, that doesn't mean that it's not your trust that you put into this customer and they put their trust in you. How do you take accountability for your customer's churn even if you don't get paid for it, why should you care? Career development. So these are things that we don't talk about in training. And emotional emotional connection is one of these things because once you start doing the work to get emotionally connected to your customers, to actually connect with them on a human level, you start feeling a bit more accountable for their success or failure once yeah. they signed too. So this is a, we are at a, a waypoint, I think, where we're looking at AI trying to change and remove salespeople, right? We talked about this in the AI circle too last week. So how long will SMB sales reps be needed? How will they be needed? If a, say, if, a, if, a, if a customer is this bad at doing research that three out of five is going to regret their purchase later, if they can get access to an AI engine who can help them make the smartest decision for them, no matter what software there is, no human connection whatsoever, you buy it online and you just use the tool and you get onboarded online with the AI's help as well. What do we need the, 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 the salespeople for? And this is an interesting conversation because if we as salespeople don't move to an emotional connection and don't move to a place where we know a lot about our industry and we are trusted advisors, we are basically screwed. And so is your entire revenue team because you need yeah. to start moving your, your structure over to a completely online business if you only sell SMB. Enterprise yeah. will be the only deals that will be left a few, in a few years. Yeah, that's interesting. So so the I suppose the answer then is we need to double down on the things that only we can do as yes, human beings. Exactly. In order to stay alive. Basically. Yes, and that that is not and that is not understanding who your champion is because that a computer can count based on the notes from your meeting and the recording. We can count who is the champion in the room with the help of AI. You don't have to do that. What you have to do is connect with the champion. That's what you have to do. And how do you do that then? You do that through vision, mission, storytelling, understanding the market, knowledge that they don't have about their own business. I think it's like you um, really just by showing up to the call as a person and being faced with someone, it's almost half the battle is won in a way. Because I, I think people appreciate as soon as they're talking to a human being, 
they, yes. they appreciate that, that that puts your company up a little bit yes. in their estimation. Yes. Yes. I, so I think that once you've done, once you're there, I yes. feel hard, I mean, it's still a, a hell of a uphill climb to get someone to actually sell. But I do think that like actually just just being there with someone yes. person makes a yes, big and, difference. And want to be there as a person with a person. Because one of the things, when we measure and incentivize robotic behavior, we will get robotic salespeople. People who come into the meeting and see cash in front of them, not a person. And yeah. I, I have had this, this is, I've had so many stories throughout my career where I've done this. So because I really always go in and I I always I also always choose companies where I love the product. So the proudness comes from loving the product. I always choose these companies because I can't sell things I don't like. I just can't. I've tried it, it this doesn't work for me. So that so coming into meetings and being understanding, I can give you an example. So there was a person we had, we were at our fourth meeting. Everyone was ready to go. We had the C-level suite has been in the third meeting. I was in the fourth meeting with the dude. We were just going to do the schedule for the onboarding and the in, and the implementation of the product. We were doing project management work at this point. The contract was in legal. Everything was prepared. The C-level was just nodding. We're ready to go. And I come into this fourth meeting with this dude and his energy is way off. He has been engaged. He has been uh, onboarded in the conversation. He's been committed. He, he was my champion. He was also a decision maker, but he was my champion. And I come into this meeting and his, his energy is completely different. And I'm like, okay, so he's not talking to me properly now. He's not really engaging in the conversation. So I just look, okay, so, 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 and in my head, I'm just, I'm going through emotions now. We end the meeting. We have sort of a plan. It's very sketchy. And I'm like, I'm going out of the meeting. I'm like, what the fuck happened? I don't know what happened. What has happened three, between the meeting last week and this meeting? And I'm lying in bed at night thinking about these things because I'm a nerd and I can't help myself. And I don't understand what is happening. And when I don't understand something, it frustrates me to the point where I'm willing to look stupid to ask questions. I don't care. I just want to understand. I'm a bit autistic. This is a problem sometimes. And it's sometimes it's not. Anyway, so I'm, and the day after, I actually go to his office because I can't get this out of my head because this is a, it's a big contract, and that's one thing. It's also a big implementation. It's also a big impact on their business. This is an important deal for me and for them because we found all the reasons why they need to do this. And we have connected when it comes to all the benefits that they will see. Everything is there. So what is going on? So I go to his office without calling him and I go up uh, up the elevator because this was in Stockholm, go up the elevator. I go up to his receptionist uh, desk and I'm like, so he's in. She was like, yeah, he's here. I was like, okay, can you call him and just ask if I can get 10 minutes? So she calls in and he says, yes, to accepting me in. So I go in and I sit down and I was like, okay, so I don't care if the deal doesn't happen, but I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Can you please help me out? Am I imagining that the, the energy was completely off in our last session yesterday? And he's like, no, 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 you're right. No, you're right. But I can't tell you why. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's awful. I was like, okay, so so can you give me a hint of what, are you okay, person? This is a, are you okay? Are you physically okay? Is your family okay? Is this, is this work related? Like, are you good? He's like, no, 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 this is business related. But I can't really tell you. But okay, I will phrase it like this. And then it tells me that they are merging with another company. And the contract oh. were signed the day before in the meeting, like you're, oh, before the meeting we had. It was like, so everything is stopped, but it's not official. So I can't tell you oh. what the company is, what we're going to do and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, so it wasn't me that missed anything in the process. This actually was completely out of my control. 
And you guys didn't even know about it because he was the CFO. He wasn't informed until the contract because this was a big merger with the boards involved. So he wasn't involved. He had just delivered numbers. He didn't know it was going to happen. And then, and then I was like, okay, great. So this isn't because we missed the beat. We both were on board. I didn't misread anything. He was like, no, 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 no. And then I tell him, look, okay, so I understand that the deal is not happening now. I don't care about that. What I will do now is introduce you to another customer that I have that just went through a merger acquisition with 3,000 people on each side. And you guys, you mentioned that it's a similar size company, what the struggles were. So I will connect you with him so you can have a bouncing board outside of this business because this business will be highly political and very hard to be in within three months, right? So just to give you sort of a, a chance to defend whatever you need to defend and see if you want to stay or not. And if giving you some tools because he, he was the CFO that stayed. The other dude, the, the 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 contact I wanted to give him, he was the dude who won. The other dude got lost. So he has some 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 things he can help you with to better understand how to play this journey. And he was super super thankful. And then I connected them. And then it took eight months. And then he called. He was like, "So now the merger is complete from a culture perspective. We're ready to move forward." Now. And if I wouldn't have treated this situation the way I did, first of all, I wouldn't have known. Mm. What the fuck went wrong? So I could have left that slide to close lost in a few months and just like, I don't know what happened there. I'm going to leave it alone. Yeah, I wouldn't have known what happened and I wouldn't have gotten that phone call. And that was one of the biggest deals I closed when I was at that specific business selling ERP because he continued to trust me. He won the battle of the, the merger battles that happens when you have two exactly the same roles. And then when he was ready, he called me back. And if I wouldn't have approached this as a human to human, actually caring about what happened i would never have done either of these things yeah that's that's superb so i think you you gen you're showcasing a lot of skills there and the first one i think um is just being like emotionally in tune during that meeting just being able to sense that something's changed yes yeah that's the first thing isn't it yes yes Um, it is and then, like you said, that almost like if you called it autistic, I'm going to call it obsessive <laughs> quality where you can't get it out of your head. No, it's impossible. And you have to resolve it rather yeah. than, I suppose, having the mentality of, I mean, to be honest, like I'm a little bit in awe of salespeople. I really am. <laughs> like I, I don't because I don't have it in me. So I, when I when I see the qualities that they have to succeed and I have been on calls with them. And I've yes. seen them like completely turn someone around from yes. being like, no, I'm not interested in this to suddenly being interested. I think they're like super, yeah. frankly. I can't, <laughs> right. I can't believe it sometimes. The really good ones are very, very similar to superheroes. They're very what they're able to do. And yeah. I think it is very much that quality um, as well of just being emotionally connected and, and feeling such a sense of pride when it doesn't work out. That you yes. have to follow it through. I have to understand what's happening. And the thing is, but I want to make something clear because you're onto something now that I think is super interesting. I am, as a person, extremely introverted. Mm-hmm. I am, as a person, completely... When I grew up, I, I had very few friends. I was very shy. I couldn't interact with people. I was very... Again, the autistic draw and all the... I'm bipolar too. Like, all the things was just... I, I wasn't comfortable with people because I didn't understand them. I didn't understand how they worked. So this is trainable skill. The trainable, this is trainable skill. And I'm telling you this because you were like, I don't have it in you. This is not something you are born with. It's not, Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not. The best salespeople I've seen perform magic are extreme introverts. They listen, they listen, they listen. They find the tiniest patterns and then they're like, 
oh, this I can. So if I, what happens if I do, oh, that's interesting. Then something happened now. These are the best salespeople I have seen. So the extroverted salespeople who talk a lot, these are not the people who see patterns. These are not the people who, who read differentiators. The reason why I'm so good at reading people is because I didn't understand shit when I was growing up because my mind wouldn't allow me. I didn't understand how people's facial expressions, what they were conducted about. So I've studied, studied, studied psychology and understanding like, like physical body language. How does, what does it mean? And yes, I have an autistic part in me who just needs to know because how will I interact in the world if I don't understand how people work? Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand it. So this is a trainable skill. And now the question becomes, what is it that we're training our salespeople in? And if we're not training them in the skills I am talking about now, how will they survive when what they can do can re- be replaced like that? That's really what the what that's yes. really the um the core of this issue, isn't it? Yes. That's really why yes. we're talking about this now. More yes. Is yes. We are seeing this shift. Yes. And I think people who don't understand really like the emotional side of sales, much like people who don't understand the emotional aspect of say, like, I don't know, conversion copywriting, for example. Marketing. To content, yes, I agree. Right. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. We'll say yes. like, oh, well, AI can just do that. And it's like, well, yeah, well, AI could probably do it to a point, to a certain yeah. level, but they can't. Yeah. But human beings are still, I, 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 I completely think if they step it up, no one can replicate that. And I, no, and I, this is the thing. If they step it up, you're on to exactly the thing because it's the same with marketing because marketing is also targeting what? People, people, man. We're targeting people in our communication. And stepping it up for sales means a different thing than it means for marketing. Because for marketing, it has to do with very much understanding the personal drivers behind the buyers that you're trying to talk to, to connect with them emotionally through copy, which is a lot harder than doing it like this. It's a lot harder because you can't read the reaction of the person yet. Mm -hmm. You don't know how they will react to a certain phrasing, right? So I can say say, um, a specific sentence and I can straight away see and get your information back on how you react to that marketing cannot so they need to step up in a different way well for when it comes to sales we need to start understanding that we are responsible for creating an experience for our for our prospects and customers that no ai can do how do we do that mm-hmm. by treating them like people by training our soft skills by training how to read the room how to read people by reading psychology by understanding our market by understanding our market fit by interviewing our decision makers that are going to buy from us so we know what they want and what they need and what they struggle with properly know without outsourcing that to marketing to do a buyer persona profile so you need to go out and talk to your people man and this is this is things that we can structure and train them in how to do to get them to become better at this. Do you think that the the um the the, the remote work um that yes. sort of how that's gained traction? Do you think that's created some challenges as well? I wonder if like this so this out of the room syndrome. You've heard of that, haven't you? Yes, uh, yes, like, I have. So people who are coming in now, perhaps post COVID, maybe yes, who yes. are not that they so they're not in the office and they're not picking up on those skills necessarily that people who. Yes. Would first hires we're just picking up on yes then maybe there's more of a need for like you were saying a playbook or some kind of technology yeah the baseline things but Mm. i think one of the things that is the opposite in the situation you're describing my experience with salespeople is that the people who were really good in physical meetings before they struggled a lot more when we went digital 
than the people who started digital. So the people who did their first SDR role or sales role that started only having discovery calls online, they learned how to look at the person instead of the camera. They learned how to look at the person's expressions. They learned how to be extra crystallized clear in their questions because, oh, I might have missed something now. So imagine a call when a salesperson is like, look, wait, I saw I saw an expression now. Can you explain to me what went through your head now? Asking them, ask them. And then we will have a, an, an entire generation of salespeople be like, but you, you can't ask that. Yes, you can. Yes, yeah. you can. You can just ask them. Ask it's so them. funny, isn't it? Like, I, I even think about little things. Like, you know, when yes. you're on a Zoom call and you can see yourself. Yes. I think we're distracted distract by the fact that the we can see ourselves. Like, I know, right? You're like, my eyes is glitching. Yeah. And actually learning to disregard. I had learning a to look at the person rather than yourself. Yes, yes. And I had a period when I started when I put a post-it on myself and I just looked at the person who was in the meeting. And it worked perfectly because then my eye wasn't distracted. And it's I remember, especially with teams, when you're on the side, I just posted it myself on the screen. So I didn't see myself. And it became a lot, it became a lot more engaging meeting because I was in the meeting with the person looking at them and they were looking at me on the other side or themselves, whatever works for them. And, and it was working a lot fluent, more, more fluent for me when I did that. And it's the same when you start recording videos for LinkedIn because you want to build a personal brand. Just post it yourself and record and just speak and be normal, be a person. And I think we're we're fast-tracking to losing authenticity because we think that systems and methodologies are going to solve our problems. And at the base of the core of your business is people. Even if your platform is your baby, I'm sorry to tell you, but if you have a business-to-business sauce, you are going to need to understand that unless you're planning to do it fully remote online, and I believe a lot of soft, software vendors could do that already now, SMB market, fully remote onboarding, fully remote selling, fully remote with pricing and everything online, like, like Kajabi does. They sell an, an enterprise platform and SMB. They don't want to talk to me. I try to convert on a form on their website to get them to talk to me. And there is no form because they don't want to talk to me. They're like, here's a video. We don't care. We have online webinars once a week. You can join that if you want to see a demo. Like, we don't want to talk to you. And this is the future. And then we have the enterprise layer where we as salespeople can still excel and support customers in making the journey with us. Yeah. And that requires a whole different skill set. It's project management. It's soft skills. It's reading a room. It's understanding a decision-making tree. It's understanding an industry. It's so many other things than what we train uh, AEs today. Yeah. And we need to get in the game. So let's, to round this off then, let's let's <laughs> break it down into its most actionable form. What can we yes. do? Like, so from, you've already mentioned, I think it's a really good one you know, getting close to the founder, getting in on calls. I think it's a really good one and it's really actionable. What you Yeah, and it's do- for the individual contributor. As a company, there is a difference here because as an individual contributor, if your company has noticed this, that's the tip you can do. You can call your founder and ask you to join meetings, but that's not scalable. The founder can't be in all the meetings with the salespeople. So that's a company structure. You need to figure out, so what are we going to sell in two years? How are we going to sell in two years? What kind of skills and, 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 and knowledgeable, marketable skill sets do we need in our sales teams? We might have a sales team of 50 reps now. In two years, we might need 10, but they will all focus on, uh, on the big ARR, like the big deals only. The rest will be completely online. So you need to reset your entire product development to be an online onboarding engine for new SMB customers. We're not even touching them. And then we need to look at ICP. 
as a company, who are we actually talking to? And then we need to start looking at what the founder would do in these meetings. So how would they do two free of first meetings and two free of the second meetings with businesses? And we need to record it and we need to analyze him or her and what they talk about. And then we need to put that into material that we can share. We need to record our founder talking about the story so that salespeople can connect to his or her story and start telling them with their own words. We need to start measuring how many times you told story A to businesses this week. We need to start looking at what we want them to be in two years and then training them accordingly and get ready to cut some people because you won't need your entire team. Well, I don't know how many, it's 23% of sales team members in SaaS companies who ongoingly succeed their budget. The rest does not. 23% take their quota ongoingly. The rest, 70, what is it, 77% doesn't take their quota ongoingly, monthly, quarterly. So we have 70% of a team, a team of 10 people. Seven of these people will not do their quota. And for some reason, we're still carrying them along with us. Instead of making them into 10, we go to six people and we train them meticulously in the skills that the ones that are taking their budget every month are doing. Have them train the rest of the team. You don't need a lot of people. The idea that you throw in sales team into a soft company and they will just scale per EFT is bullshit. It doesn't work like that. I haven't seen any company where it works. And we still keep doing it, especially when money was free a couple of years ago. Then we did it a lot. That's why people are getting fired left and right today. So we need to figure out what we need as skill sets. And then we need to train them. And whatever your VP of sales, founders, I'm talking to you now, whatever your VP of sales think is a good methodology, that is not your problem. Your problem is that Medic is not going to help your salespeople tell stories. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's going to help your salespeople understand what to do before and after a meeting. That's it. Inside the meeting, they're on their own. So mm -hmm. it's time to start training them in how to do really, really explorative and experience-based uh, customer meetings. And that's you. You did that in the start. You, founder, did that in the start. To your, to your people you hire, to your investment board, you did it. So train them, but scale it. Don't do the going with the founder to each meeting, because then again, it will take forever for everyone to get on board. Yeah, you great. need to scale that skill. That's a great point. Yeah. How do yeah. you scale it? I think it's, it's yes. really important. 100%. Yes. Well, so playbook material, recordings of the founder, and then start there. And start doing small things. One story. All the salespeople have to do one story that the founder has recorded and told them in all customer meetings to come in two weeks. One story. Let's see what happens with our numbers. Yeah, and then measure it as well. It's yeah, measure. So did 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 our did our um, LTV go up? Did the sales cycle did the sales cycle shorten? What happened with that one story? Because you will find the proof you need in the numbers afterwards to continue doing these incremental changes over time. It's really great. I, thanks so much for this, Sarah. It's been a really, yes. really, really great chat. And I think I yes. think we've not only had a great discussion, I think we have actually arrived at some potential solutions, yes. uh, which is what we always want. 
So right. thanks so much. Um, I was wondering, actually, like, because I just kind of want to, I want to ask more general question, uh, one more general question yeah. about sales in general, because I'm really fascinated by it, like I said, because I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, so, <laughs> like, so I'm just wondering, like, what does, like, okay, like, going back in time, because it's an old profession, right? Yes. What's, like, the man, I don't know, in the medieval village who was successful at, like, selling his turnips door to door? What did common, he do? <laughs> have in common with the successful SaaS um, salesman now. Like, what is, what, I guess what I'm asking is, what principles of sales have held true throughout all the time are still true now? Yeah, that's lovely. I have one thing. I have one thing. I will tell you a story about the dude in the medieval village, okay? So yeah. he sells sheep. He sells yeah. sheep to people, right? So he sells his sheep and he trades it for, for other things from other people or for money, whatever. So he sells his sheep. That's his business. And he sells sheep to people all across the village and to other villages, the neighboring villages, right? And then he sells three sheep and they all die. Mm -hmm. And he has a choice now. He can ignore that they all died. This is a churn, by the way. He can ignore that they all died and not make any changes. He cannot go into his flock and make sure that no one else in the flock is sick so they won't die again. He can just ignore it and keep selling. That word of mouth that will happen in that village, no one will buy sheep from him anymore unless he acts by taking care and accountability of the problem to prevent it to happen again. So a really successful salesperson in SaaS, like myself have been for years and years, I don't start my journey with the customer by the start of the sales process and end it at the sign. My sales process and my process with the customer, the journey starts by the first interaction and it ends when they have not churned year one. Right. That's when it ends. I will keep the relationship going, but once they survive the first year, that means that the trust that they put in me worked. It was correct for them. They are staying because they are satisfied. What I promised was delivered. I will also actually step into steering group meetings and stuff once a quarter to make sure that the customer is happy. I don't let them go. And this is something I've seen with some salespeople in Sauce. The people who are really good at building career, they have their own portfolio of logos. They keep them and they take them with them because they promise what will be delivered and then they make sure it's delivered. So that's a principle that I have worked with since I started in sales. The people that I sell to, it should be a good fit and I should benefit their career, not mine, their. And this is the same with the word of mouth. So once that happens, you have a built up portfolio of people who trust you. So when you switch to your new job... They will hit you up on LinkedIn and be like, hi, should we buy something this time? What are you selling? And that's because they still trust me because I didn't sign it and said bye and left the building. Yeah. I actually stayed with them. So that's, that's the principle that I think is super important. I think it's like little kind of like super, seemingly kind of superfluous actions that don't necessarily seem to have any benefit in the lot in the short term. That, no. that, you know, it's it. I think it's really incredible that actually, like, it's... I think it's very important. And the thing is, it's not only about the fact that the portfolio comes with me, because every time, so once I did, I don't know, my first two sauce gigs, I changed to my third role. I came in with a portfolio of twenty five businesses where I have really good relationships, and they all bought, bought my first three months of the new job, which meant that the first three months of my new job was me taking orders for a business I just started for. So how do you think that benefits my career long-term? How do you think that benefits their career long-term? They know that I won't sell if they shouldn't buy it in the new business I'm in. But the ones that should buy, I will sell to them and they will have a great delivery again. 
and then again and then again because they trust me. But that comes with other accountability points. I have to make sure that I don't sell if I see that it's not a good fit. I have to turn down money if it's not a good fit because otherwise I will lose this person, the sheep will die, and no one will buy from me of all the people they know. And this doesn't work for me as a person. Thinking, I love that. I love having that ability to say, I don't think this is a good fit for you. Yes. That's incredible. Like, and you don't see that that often, really. I know, I know. Because no one is training the junior salespeople to look at their long-term career and what they impact in the business. Because you do impact your decision makers. If they make a decision that isn't panning out well, that means that your action of selling, even though you know you shouldn't, jeopardizes their career. Do you want to have that on you? I don't. Yeah. That's that's yeah, certainly not. No. Well, thanks so much. It's been yes. great. I'm going to have to wrap it up because I could talk. I mean, yes, I could talk of course, for of course, hour, of course. I could, I could <laughs> no talk problem, for another no hour, problem. honestly. But we I, can I, do a follow up in like a year and we can do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, so if people want to find out more from you, then Sarah, like LinkedIn. LinkedIn. If, they, if yes. you're open to questions and queries and. Please come and ask me things. I have a, a nerd enough in teaching things, so please don't hesitate to ask me things. So I I'm think you have a wealth of knowledge, and I think people would really, I think people are going to benefit from this discussion, but I think also from reaching out to you, I think they're really going to yes. get something out of that. I look forward to that too. For Great. Sure. Thank you so much. Have a good day, and I'll talk to you soon online. You too. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.